Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Horror Club Podcast, where every week, counting down to Halloween, me and Miss Boo are going to talk about some of our favorite horror films, some of the funnest horror films, and everything in between. Miss Boo, how are you? I am excited, not because it's my pick today, but we're also kicking off 80s horror-themed month. Yes, we are, and we have a pretty stacked lineup coming up. Oh yeah, it's gonna be amazing. It is. And, and all on VHS. Uh, yes, Miss Boo went out of her way to pick up VHS copies of all these 80s horror films so she can watch them authentically. I, on the other hand, just looked them up on like HBO Go and stuff like that. And what are we starting off with today? Today, we are talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, we are. The 1984 Wes Craven classic. Uh, this wasn't Wes Craven's first horror film, mm. but this is definitely one that made him synonymous with the genre. That's right. Which is impressive, because this is also the guy that gave us Last House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes, and then A Nightmare on Elm Street. And one of my favorite all-time horror movies, Scream. Yeah, a couple decades later, but you know. And our first movie for our podcast. It was our first movie for the podcast. And so A Nightmare on Elm Street is a... Uh, interesting kind of horror film when you look at 80 slashers it is and freddy's on the top of that list of 80 slashers but before we jump into this episode you know it's a special week not because we're starting off 80s horror theme month mm -hmm. but it's also west craven's birthday this month oh it is on the second yeah so a few oh, days ago wow yeah all right so happy birthday west yeah this episode is for Wes. all right and uh, i'm really glad we're talking about this film because i've always had an affinity for a nightmare on elm street i don't know about you but this is one of those um 80s slasher flicks that really helped get me into like slasher films i guess i mean for me i started off with michael myers well yeah and... well halloween is like a foundational one but i don't really consider the rest of the halloween franchise that good yeah like I... everything past halloween pretty pretty like lukewarm halloween 2 is like okay halloween 3 is yeah. not a not a michael myers slasher no, film and the rest not. of it's pretty bad but i agree with you uh freddy is a good one to jump off into the horror genre with mm -hmm. do you remember the first time you watched a nightmare on elm street oh god i had to have probably been 12 something like that because um my parents had that old um dvd set when like they released the Nightmare on Elm Street films, like oh, first time on yeah. on DVD. I think mine were literally rips of the Laserdisc copy. Like that's mm -hmm. how old they were, and I always was under the impression that those were the movies I weren't supposed to watch. Oh yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, they're not home. I'll I'll put one on and see how it goes. And it was great. It was a lot of fun. Were you scared afterwards? Mm -hmm. Not particularly. I mean, I was already a pretty jaded kid. Really? At that age, at 12, you were already jaded? Oh, very. I, I, I played too many violent video games, and they warped my fragile young mind. Interesting, interesting. What about you? I mean, I think I was probably around the same age that you were. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us were probably... In that 10, 12, 13 age? Yeah, that very young age where we shouldn't have been watching this, but we did because it's like, oh, cool, it's Freddy Krueger, and it's not going to scare us that bad. 
scared the shit out of me when I saw this for the first time. And it's and it's crazy because Freddy Krueger is almost as synonymous as Santa Claus with people. Definitely. Which is fucking weird, right? And it's not just because of the red and green sweater. But No, no. But it is. Freddy is just recognizable everywhere. And, you know, even alone with the silhouette very much like Indiana Jones, you know that's Freddy. It's it's true. He It's a very recognizable franchise. It's a very long-lived franchise. And this is the first of that franchise. It is. So The first of many things in this franchise. It is. Do you want to know some context about this one? Sure. Well, for context and everybody out there, this film comes out in 1984. And in 1984, we also got Beverly Hills Cop, Ooh. Ghostbusters, oh. Indiana Jones, and the oh Temple of Doom. God. We also get Gremlins, Karate Kid, <sighs> and your favorite, Amadeus. Amadeus. I love Amadeus. I can't wait to do that on the podcast. You know who else loved Amadeus? The Oscars, because Amadeus took home four big gold statues. It did, so you got to give it a chance one of these days. I think I will, but you know who Hollywood gave a chance this same year? The man debuting in this film. Mr. A, Johnny Depp? A Mr. Young Johnny Depp. <sighs> what playing, a dreamboat. Playing Nancy's boyfriend, Glenn, the most unattractive of first names. But, you know, he makes it work. And, uh, yeah. And Nightmare on Elm Street is also has a very interesting little production history, if you want to know. Sure. So, this film, by many accounts, was probably never going to get made. Because of all the things that happened in the process. The first was Wes Craven couldn't find a single studio to back the film. That's right. He shopped it around for about three years before New Line picked it up. And this was a big risk to New Line, because... They were just a distribution company. They never produced an actual film before. Yeah. But they were like, hey, we'll, we'll do this. It'll be it'll be good. A cheap, quick, easy horror film that kind of blew all their money. They went into such a financial hole that they had to start asking outside investors from Europe, from basically any place they can get money. This started as a $700,000 film to well over a million dollar picture. But when it got released... It got back $57 million. Oh, yeah. Uh, this movie is the reason New Line Cinema exists. That's why New Line, if people in the horror community are in the know, they call it the house that Freddy built. Because yes. it really is the house that Freddy built. Without Freddy Krueger, New Line Cinema would not be a thing. And isn't there a documentary called The House That Freddy Built? I think there is. I think it is actually, it's called The House That Freddy Built, and it's literally a New Line Cinema documentary. I think yeah. it. They just talk about Freddy Krueger a lot because every time they were in the hole for money, a new Freddy Krueger movie would come out. Well, yeah, because they were just a distribution company and this turned them into a studio. Yeah. Uh, they also went on, I believe they produced The Mask. I think they I think they produced The Mask. The first Scream movie. The first Scream movie. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which all of them were huge financial successes. Yeah. And this also helped make Wes Craven a household name in the horror community rightfully so because i mean this man is a genius when it comes to horror he really is he has a very um interesting style mm -hmm. of directing films writing films and really getting into more unique things that other horror directors don't get into yeah but boo would you like to tell people what the story's about what is a nightmare on elm street well a nightmare on elm street follows the story of 
Nancy, mm-hmm. who is our main character, and she is dating her boyfriend, Glenn, who lives across the street from her in a very nice neighborhood. Yes. And we're supposed to be in a small town, even though it's very much Los Angeles. There's there's no getting around it. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe for you. It's for a pretty the first decent one. design. For the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, watch the documentary. It's amazing. <laughs> I love documentaries, film documentaries. Sorry. But to get back to the plot, Nancy and her group of friends all start having dreams about this weird, creepy guy Mm -hmm. in a green and red sweater. And it turns out that this, you know, isn't just a dream. This guy is killing these teenagers in their nightmares. And it turns into a race of how can we stop him? Why is this happening? Why has he chosen us? As he's picking them off one One by one. (laughs) But yeah, this movie is um, is interesting in and of itself. So where do you want to start? Let's start with the characters. The characters, your favorite. And why don't we talk about the star of this movie? Not Heather Langenkamp that plays Nancy, but the film's real star, the franchise's star. Robert Unglund playing Freddy Krueger. Yes. And Freddy Krueger became an icon. He's in... The realm of Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, Leatherface, and he goes on to be this comedic, wisecracking kind of slasher. But in this film, he's far more menacing. He's... More menacing. He is a little funny. He's got a couple of lines in mm-hmm. there. Well, but not, it's not to the extent of like no. Dream Warriors or Freddy's Mm-mm. Child or Freddy's Dead. I mean, even uh, I can't think of the show. It's a show on uh, ABC. Mm-hmm. But he made a cameo as Freddy, and he's chasing one of the main characters of the show around. So it's like, even to this day, you know, even on an ABC show, people still want Freddy. Oh, yeah. And I guess um, that comes into my question, because we've seen, I assume we've seen all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I'm pretty sure I've seen all of them. I mean, there's only like eight of them. Come on, that's, that's pussy numbers. Hellraiser's got like 12. Yes, and I know your beloved Jason has, like, what? 13, last I counted. There you go. But, or no, I think it's 12, because I think they want to get the 13th made. I think, yeah, oh yeah, you're right. It, it's going to be 13 when they finally get off their asses and make it. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, but back to Freddy. Back to Freddy. And my question is, what's unique about this performance that doesn't show up in the rest of them? Because I feel like Robert Unglund approached this role way differently than he approached the rest of the movies because the rest of the movies up until a new nightmare weren't directed by Wes Craven no so I think a lot of it was probably the writing mm-hmm. because in this first movie like you said he's very menacing we don't really see him that much it's kind of like Jaws where he's shrouded in darkness a he's lot shrouded of the time. in darkness we don't see the shark we just have the the fear surround us the entire film mm-hmm. so I think that affected his performance because he's supposed to be this ominous being. And in the rest of the movies, you know, we can't wait to see Freddy. That's what yeah. we're there for. It's not like this first movie where we kind of get attached to the cast. Mm-hmm. The rest of the movies, it turns into like more, most horror movies. It, it turns into Friday the 13th films yeah, where it, we're, we're here to see the special effects, get a couple of jump scares and leave, yeah. the, leave the theater happy. But Robert Unglund great performance every time and everything that he does oh yeah and he's a very very good actor in this and it's kind of interesting because i've seen interviews with him outside of you know yeah freddie and he's a seems like a very like 
real dedicated. He's like a theater actor. Yeah. He's like very into the method. He's like, I need to understand the character and the performance. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, bro, the thing you're most famous for, you could probably just phone it in half the time and you'd still get the fattest paycheck of the crew. But he does He doesn't. Not. He does not. He gives it his all. And I, it shows up in each movie. It, even if it's kind of on the cheesy side, mm-hmm. he is the best thing in the movie. It's kind of the same thing about Nicolas Cage. Say what you will about the man. He'll give 110% in every movie he's in. You're just on a Cage thing these days. Uh, by the way, Pig is fantastic. If he doesn't get nominated for an Oscar, I will be very angry. Just letting you know. I know. You've been talking about Pig nonstop. It's very good. But, so that's my thinking. You know, Freddy's the star. Robert oh, Unwin. definitely. But is there anybody else on this cast you want to talk about? Well, I mean, I think we have to talk about Heather. Heather Langenkamp. Exactly. So... I think she's good. I think she's fine. <laughs> she's a good character. I mean, she's a yeah. good actress. It's interesting to see her kind of be, you know, the the sheriff's daughter mm-hmm. into, I'm going to drag Freddy out of the dream world and into this world and bring him into my booby-trapped house. You know the thing I liked about Nancy and Heather Langkamp's performance in this, more than a whole 99% of other slasher movies, hmm. is I watching the film, looking at her, seeing how she acts performs i'm like you actually look like a teenager in high school you actually are performing like a teenager in high school and not a 30 year old playing a teenager in high school well i mean it's kind of funny when she does that line when she looks at herself she was like oh my god i look like a 20 year old because she is 20 yeah but yeah really yeah she's 20 so that's why that line was in there because she is 20 years old. <laughs> she, which is really weird, because looking at her, I'm like, yeah, no, you look about, like, 16. 15, 16. She's got a very baby face. Yeah. Which works, and... I mean, it, that goes into the casting. Yeah, it, it just sells the part that we are watching real teenagers real dealing with... I mean, not a real issue, because... Uh, I would really <laughs> hope this isn't a real issue. Yeah, that would be terrifying if this happened. But it's it's an interesting concept... And it kind of, you know, it feels a little bit like, you see, this is where he got ideas for Scream in this movie. Yeah. I wonder if that's a, that's a thing. Because I don't even think the casting in Scream is on par with this. Hmm. I don't know. I, I like, I really enjoyed both casts mm-hmm. in both films. Well, they've both they, they, kind of become iconic since their films release. They're iconic films, but it feels like the the cast just kind of gelled together for both. Mm-hmm. You you feel like this is a real high school and a real set of friends in each film. Um, I mean, I maybe not so much in Scream at least at least for me because mm-hmm. it always felt like, man, Stu and Billy, how how are these guys fucking friends? This they just seem like really <laughs> unrealistic friends to me. But that's mostly because I don't think Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich would have been on the same baseball team at any point in their life you but never in, know i never know but in nightmare on elm street i thought all the cast was was actually really good um especially you know nancy thompson and you know her boyfriend glenn her friendship with <laughs> tina and i mean tina is just oh my god <laughs> poor poor sad girl oh I mean that—that's the the scene that scared the crap out of me. Oh, where they, where the she starts going up on the ceiling and it's all that. Not even that. Her oh, in no. the alleyway with Freddie when he puts his arms out and oh. stretches them across. Okay, I'm gonna say a lot about this movie. I'll give it a lot of praise. That effect does not hold up for me in any way, shape, or form. Hey, as an eleven, at that scene. eleven, ten-year-old seeing that dark alleyway 
and then his arms retract back and he's just chasing her down the alley. I was just like, it, oh my God, I'm not going to sleep for a couple of days now. It, it might have been that even at like 11 or 12 years old when I saw this, I was like, that's a pretty crummy effect. I ain't got a lot. You already said you were jaded by 11 years I old. Was, I'm sorry, it just happens. But you got you got to admit, out of all the effects, that's the one that doesn't hold up nearly as well. It's whatever. It's whatever. It's whatever. Yeah, okay. But that and seeing her in the body bag, just being dragged through the school. That was cool. I like that. That was just like, shit my pants. Oh my God, that's horrific. And then seeing in the documentary where she's like, this is a real body bag and it only zips from the outside. So I have to trust them. To unzip to, you yeah. before you suffocate. And I'm like, that's horrifying being trapped in a body bag covered in blood. Fake blood, granted, but still, still not good. horrifying. Speaking about blood, you you uh, you know the the famous scene mm-hmm. where Mr. Johnny Depp gets sucked through the bed. Yep. That scene is great, and, and the it's fact so that it, weird that it broke the set. It did, it did, because um, they were using the. I, I can't remember what movie it is, but Fred Astaire did a thing where he was dancing on the walls and the ceiling, yeah. and it's a rotating set. They yeah. use the same trick to do that and to do ne- Tina, Tina's death, yeah, Tina's death and all that stuff. And I guess it was what so much blood that was being dumped, it broke the supports. No, it was um, water colored with like red food coloring or yeah, something. Yeah, red dye. But it got into all the the light sockets and the cables and the wires, so <laughs> it, it just, just blew out the whole room. Blew out everything, and then it started to spin a little bit the room. Because of the weight of the water landing on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, oh my god, you have this room that's fiery and out of control. Totally works for a horror movie. Oh, so good. So good. But yeah, that that for me is is probably like the most iconic scene in the movie for me. Is the, you know, Johnny Depp's death sequence. Yeah. Which, it's so cool. The, the fact that the, the coroner, the cops... They can barely be in the room because they're just so It's leaking disgusted. through the ceiling. Yeah. It's, oh, it's so good. Where do you want to Where do you want to jump to next? I don't know. I'm just I'm excited to talk about this. your little your little giddy. A little bit, tiny just, bit. Just a little giddy. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about the the story here? Because okay. uh, this film's a lot different than other slashers in this genre. Yeah. In this you know decade, because with Friday Thirteenth, Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so on and so forth, those are leaning a little bit harder in the exploitation aspect of their genre. Yeah. You know, we're going to have boobs, blood, and guts and leave the audience out happy. Mm -hmm. Granted, you know, they both lean into suspense and thriller aspects because that's why they continued on. Yeah. But this film works on a more, like, psychological horror level. Which I love. Oh, yeah. And its story feels like it's talking about something a little bit more than it's showing. It feels like there's a real, like, theme going on underneath the surface. Um, Did you pick up on anything like that during the film? Definitely. And there was a lot of, you know, symbolism that they used in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, we have Tina, who foreshadows her death. But also in her dreams, we have the sacrificial lamb that keeps showing up. So we know she's the first one off the bat. Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting to pick up on those key little details. The little details that'll pay off later. Yeah. It's it's really interesting, because I'm wondering... Because this film, I think there's a theme of the sins of the parents will be given to the children. Which we find out later in the film mm-hmm. why Freddy is targeting these people. Yeah. And we find out that he's a pedophile murderer that yeah. has been killing the children of Elm Street. Elm Street. 
or Springwood, Ohio. Wherever it is. Yes. And it turns out all these parents, you know, gang up together to kill him. And he is just on a vengeance trip to kill their children. Because magic, obviously. Yes. And I, I kind of like that theme because it's kind of interesting in the movie. Because I don't think there's a lot of other horror films or slasher films of this genre or decade that really have a lot of deeper themes like that because it seems like it's something that's a, a little bit subtle it's more subtle than other kind of slasher flicks. yeah and I, I thought it was a really interesting story it is and the fact that nancy's mom keeps the glove that's uh, weird right and it's like why didn't you just burn that no it's her trophy she's probably going around ah. killing so many other people and that's just like this is my first trophy <laughs> you're like what do you mean mom your first trophy don't you wonder where your dad is <laughs> at the police station no, no, that's the stepdad. That's the that's ah. the se- that's the secret we never get revealed in the movie. Ah. That's my deleted scene. We find out that Nancy's mom's a serial killer, but you know, Mrs. Kruger. Oh, Nancy's the do- oh, it <laughs> makes so much sense now. Um, but yeah, is there any other things about the story you picked up on? Wanted to talk about anything cool you thought was neato burrito? I mean, I keep harping on this. It's not supposed to be a California movie. <laughs> You just have a you just have a problem separating your outside movie knowledge with your inside movie knowledge. Well, I mean, when Tina's talking about the nightmares, as she's saying, "Hey, maybe it's like how they say uh, nightmares are generated by like the like gravitational pull, something happening in the earth." She's like, "Maybe there's a big earthquake, and then her and uh, Glenn they end up in Venice at the canals." And it's just like, bro, oh. this is a California movie. Oh, God. You're just saying that because you went to the um, Elm Street house, didn't you? We did go to the Elm Street house. We did, and that's why you're saying this is, such, this is a California movie. I'm like, boo, they're all California movies. They're made in Hollywood. So, segue into our trip to the Nightmare House. What did you think about it seeing in person? A lot smaller than in the movie, but really weird because it hasn't changed since 1984 which is super creepy to me i mean the only difference is we didn't see the blue door we've seen the iconic red door yeah which i think in this movie only shows up at what like the end of the movie it stays blue the entire time we don't get i thought i thought at the final sequence it was red and that's when freddy's arm comes out of the door no it's still blue it's still blue it's Ah, yeah i had that fucking mandela effect i watched this movie yesterday i know but we don't get the red door until nightmare two Mmm. So I don't know if it was just a thing where maybe the the production company suggested it to the homeowner. Hey, can we change it to red? They pro- they were probably like, hey, can we replace your door with a red one? And they were like, if you leave it there. They were like, yep. sure. That's Honestly, that happens uh, kind of a lot for production crews where they're built because... I guess a little inside baseball, when there's a production crew and they're building a set or they're building houses, facades, whatever, they don't want to pay to tear it down. Because legally, after you build something like that, you're supposed to tear it down. You can't just abandon it. Yeah. Uh, Mostly because back in the olden days, during the silent era, people would build these grand, lavish, epic sets Mm. and just leave them in the middle of of the desert. Yeah. I mean, I think the set for D.W. Griffiths and Tolerance stood in the middle of downtown L.A. for like... 15 20 years oh yeah it was there for a while and just like rotted in the middle of the city and people were like why is this still here and they're like it's gonna cost like half a million dollars to to tear down so besides the point i can imagine a production crew was like hey can we touch up the house for the movie 
And they were, owners were probably like, yeah, absolutely. And they're like, oh, and we can leave it here, right? And like, yeah, and we don't have to tear anything down? Of course not. All right, perfect. The house, people who own the house got a free paint job and got the brand new door. It, it, it was just, it was really interesting going to the house because it looks exactly the same and it's creepy as hell. And the street's also very quiet. Yeah. we. It was unsettlingly quiet. Which is weird because we basically turned off like a big main street next to like three studios. Oh yeah, I mean, we were just like right off of Sunset. And, and there we were. Deadly quiet. Deadly quiet. There were a couple of neighbors that were out there watching us when we were out there doing our photo shoot. So how scared were you that one of them was going to be like, you know, Freddy Krueger? Robert Unglund opens the door and is like, get off my lawn, kids, and slams the door on your face. I'd be like, wait, can I get a picture, please? Just one? And so the door is in full <laughs> Freddy makeup, and he's like, absolutely. And like, <laughs> Can you sign my glove? It, yeah. So it was very interesting going to the Nightmare House. And... That is, I guess that is an interesting thing, you know, because the house is very iconic. It ties it a lot into the story. Yeah. And Nancy does home alone her way out of uh, being murdered by Freddy Krueger. From this army book about booby traps, which apparently to the documentary, they did find this actual book. And yeah, that's they, a real book. Yeah, and all the things worked in it. And ironically, cool. my dad, I saw that book and I was like, wait a minute, I checked my garage. My dad owns that book. He probably bought it back in like the... 70s 80 or whatever because he was like oh, this is a neat you know garage sale find yeah. it's like a dollar maybe if that it's back in the 80s but yeah i that book i know is real but i think the house is interesting iconic and it plays a lot into the story do you think that the location's playing into the theme of the movie maybe of yeah. like being trapped <clears throat> because you're trapped in your dreams you're trapped in your sleep you're trapped in your house it also makes it more personal, too, because mm -hmm. it's it's an invasion of your privacy mm -hmm. coming in through your dreams. And it's, you know, sleep is so important. So to have that violated and to do it on your own home turf, it's just, it really feeds into the story. Because we sleep at home. Yeah. Th this is all happening in Nancy's house. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, it spills over into the next movie, too. It's in Nancy's house again. Yes, yes. So it's a lot kind of like um, Halloween, mm -hmm. where a lot of the things circle around the Michael Myers house. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it is interesting, and I really, I really liked it. I thought the movie also looked very good. Yeah. And that goes to Wes Craven as the director, which kind of gets me to another point here. Because, you know, Wes Craven, we've seen his films on the podcast before, mm -hmm. Scream, obviously. Yeah. And um, he, he, like I said earlier, he felt different from other horror directors of this era. Um, he brought something a little bit more unique to the table, uh, whereas directors like John Carpenter, he had a great understanding of suspense. Yeah. Uh, Toby Hooper, who did Texas Chainsaw Massacre, had a good understanding of like that visceral horror, like really, I'm going to shove your face in this crazy stuff kind of the audience. And Sean S. Cunningham, who did Friday the 13th, he was probably the director most had the most understanding of his audience. He knew exactly what they wanted, yeah. which is why the Friday movie feels really like safe and formulaic, but it's, it's almost like the perfect formula for a slasher movie. Mm -hmm. But then we have um, Wes Craven. What do you, what do you think was the unique thing he brought to the table as a director? Maybe something like the other directors didn't, didn't really have that made this stand out. It's gotta be the psychological aspect. Because he really makes you think. Mm -hmm. It's not just, why is he doing this to us? How can we get away? Mm -hmm. It's just, 
what fuels Freddy and how can we defeat Freddy or is this just going to be a never ending thing where he kills all of us and he just jumps onto the next batch of teenagers? Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting that you that you say that because he does push the character of Freddy to be more like a force of nature. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, Michael Myers, Leatherface, Jason, they kind of became these characters that mm -hmm. were forces of nature over time. Yeah. Freddy out of out the jump was like, This is a force of nature, but the unique thing that Wes Craven does is he does leave into that psychological horror. Yeah. He's playing more to the audience's head than to that like um that you know cold spot on the back of your neck mm -hmm. kind of thing that a lot of other directors were going for i think he was trying to make he was trying to psych you out yeah whereas the other directors i don't think was doing that he was really good at psyching people out making them look look behind their shoulder could i mean not, not only that just you mm -hmm. know makes you afraid to go to sleep how many times did you go to sleep maybe younger when you're a kid or whatever and you're not sure if you're asleep and you look behind you and you just, you know, Freddy Krueger or something like that. Like, yeah, I feel like Wes Craven really understood why dreams inherently are freaky because you as a person aren't uh, always a hundred percent sure if you're awake or asleep. And, and I happen to be a person where I have really vivid dreams. Yeah. So sometimes I can't tell that I'm in a dream mm -hmm. compared to other times where it's like, Oh, okay. I know this is a dream. Let me just, you know, get through the motions. It's like, no, I'm in this dream until I eventually wake up. So, yeah, it's horrifying having this person that could just kill you in a dream. Mm -hmm. And you're not really aware, is this really happening? Or you just never wake up. And then we get to the end of the movie where we have that, you know, iconic Freddy reaches through, grabs uh, Nancy's mom, sucks her into the door. and it just I'm surprised mm -hmm. that you think his arms across the alleyway is cheesier than oh and the, her turning into a blow-up doll yes and being pulled through the window i okay i'll say that is not a good effect at all either it's a pretty bad one but I, i'm going with the moment here because right. it's a very interesting moment because it does cast a shade onto the film where was this all a dream was the entire film a dream mm -hmm. where i think it works really well standalone when you yeah. think about it, you're like Oh, that's that's weird. That's creepy. And then the sequels obviously rewrite history a little bit, but it's great. Considering that that's not the way that Wes Craven wanted to end the movie, he wanted to end it on a happy note. Really? Be because he wanted this to be it. He just wanted one movie, mm -hmm. and it was the studio that was like, "We've got a gold mine here. Let's just keep this, you know, cash cow going." The house that Freddie built. Yes, and it's it would have been interesting just to kind of have it as a one and done mm -hmm. because it works so well as. A single movie itself oh yeah because that that fear of can he ever come back mm -hmm. just letting that kind of you know linger in the background versus okay he's gonna be back next year let's see how they bring him back oh the, wow the friday the 13th syndrome yeah you know oh wow years later a dog peed on his grave and now he's back you know just the, the random stuff that brings freddie back oh yeah i mean it, <laughs> it it's kind of funny where Every, every slasher across the board gets more ridiculous as they go mm -hmm. on. You know, Friday the 13th started with Jason as this, you know, disabled boy lost in the woods who's come back for revenge to an immortal zombie with a machete and a hockey mask. And he's in space now. 
Yeah. Whereas Freddy, I feel he, they kind of knew that this was going to get ridiculous real quick. Mm-hmm. And the dream stuff just allowed him to be more playful with how ridiculous things got. So I, I wonder if that's why the Nightmare on Elm Street's movies kind of aged a little bit better. Because they knew what they were way earlier than the rest of them. They knew what they were. They've kept up with the comedy too. So you're not just seeing like a gore fest. Yeah. It's not like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. You want to hear the new catchphrases that Freddy's going to say. Yeah. Welcome to primetime, bitch. Oh, one of the best. Best ones. Dream Warriors by far. Best Mm -hmm. sequel. I I mean, uh, this movie has its great ones too with, you know, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. (sighs) This is God. Yeah. Is that the one? Oh, is that, that's in this movie, right? Yeah, that's that's in the alleyway. Oh, okay. Because that, that one, that silhouette, the lighting in there, I think there's a little bit of smoky effect. That's creepy. And him making a phone out of his hands. That's good. Yeah. It's good. Uh, but yeah, like, I, I think this movie actually holds up really well to modern viewing. Definitely. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like an 80s movie. You feel like you're transported back to the 80s. But... It's aged super well. Yeah. I it, don't know if it's because of the, the psychological story behind it. I think that might be what it is. Because I know a lot of these style of slashers don't really age all that well. Most people watch them for the kish value. Yeah. This, it's like, yeah, it, it's an 80s slasher, quote unquote. But it's it actually feels kind of timeless. There's nothing that dates the movie super bad. There's nothing like, okay, that's really weird like lingo they're talking daddy-o yeah in some movies or, or anything cool like cat yeah cool cat or anything it's like the that bees knees exactly this movie feels way more modern in in terms of like 80 slasher flicks which i think is why it's held up so well also what do you think about john saxon being the top bill in this movie john saxon's great he was in enter the dragon and also black, black christmas, christmas which is another movie we watched we did for our, what was it, our spooky Christmas we did last December? Yes, yes. We wanted to do spooky Christmas. Expect another one. You can never tell. Exactly. But I think it's inter- interesting that John Saxon is the top bill in this movie. Mm-hmm. And just the superstar that Johnny Depp became. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, at the time, I think he had only done 21 Jump Street. No, this was his... That was full debut. Like, full... He'd hadn't did, he hadn't done TV or anything like that? I don't that? think so. I think this was, like, his actual on-screen debut. Really? Yeah. So it's huh. just, you know, you have Johnny Depp that becomes a powerhouse after this. You have Robert England that, you know, is forever going to be Freddy. Yeah. Superstar. They, they tried to remake Nightmare on Elm Street a couple years ago. Oh, God, no. I refuse with, with to Jackie watch it. Or... You've never seen it? No, I refuse to watch it. It... Honestly, it's not it's not great. I don't think there's any okay, there's like maybe one or two uh horror remakes that they've made in the 2000s that are okay. Mm-hmm. That one is not one of them. It's actually pretty pretty bad. But Jackie or Little Haley who um plays Pre- yeah, who plays Freddy. Sorry, I'm getting all tongue-tied. He's actually not bad. He's like the best part of that movie. Yeah, you know, I, I don't have anything towards the actor, but it's just like it's if, it's an iconic character who was who made um a an actor an icon yes and you don't really ever want to see another actor play that character exactly which feels kind of bad because I think Robert Unglin officially retired as playing Freddy Krueger or making appearances as Freddy anymore well he did that appearance on that ABC show ooh that I think that was last year or maybe the mm-hmm. year before 
I mean, he was in full makeup. So, doesn't, doesn't surprise me. So, I, you know, he may have retired, but if they were to come back and be like, hey, you wanna want to do one, one more? Want to do one more? You need a, you need a house in the, in the Hamptons? I got you, fam. But it, it is kind of a thing because with Jason, there's been a score of stuntmen who yeah. have played Jason. The only person who really adopted the character is Kane Hodder. Yes. But he've only, he's only played Jason three times, four times, I think. Mm-hmm. Then you have uh, Gunnar Hansen, who played Leatherface, and he played Leatherface in the first one, best portrayal of the character, but he's, we never see his face. No. And even with Michael Myers, score of stuntmen, Nick Castle's probably the most famous person to play. And James Jude Courtney, who has been the current Michael for 2018 and Halloween Kills. That's true, that's true, and that's the thing. But we never see their face. We see Freddy's face, and now... Robert Ungland, you can never get a stuntman to play Freddy. No. Which means there's going to be a point where we're never going to get any more Freddy films. That's going to be a sad day. It's true. Well, I mean, there is the thing where, like in the Marvel films we talked about the other the yeah. other month, and the superhero franchises, eh, there might come a day where they'll try and remake this or start it again with a new Freddy Krueger, and computers are getting better every day. So they are, but at the same time, he is Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. He makes Freddy special, mm-hmm. and it's like he's the slasher. But you're excited to watch the movies to see him. As a kid, was he the first actor you knew as that character? Was was it like a thing when you were watching movies? You're like, oh, that's Freddy, and only that person can be Freddy. Yeah. That yeah. I think so because, like you were saying. With everyone that wears masks, anyone can change out the mask and don the costume, and you don't know who it is underneath it. It's just, you see Freddy's face. Every movie, he is this person. I mean, I was just watching, was it Dead and Buried by mm-hmm. um, by Stephen King? Mm-hmm. And Robert Unglund is in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's, I think, early 80s. It must have been before A Nightmare on Elm Street came out. Mm-hmm. And right off the bat, I'm like, oh, Freddy's in this movie. <laughs> So <laughs> he's not wrong. He's Freddy. <laughs> he's Freddy. Uh, and I, okay. Final question I got for you, boo. Where does Freddy rank on the Mount Rushmore of, um, slasher villains? Cause I know you're a Halloween girl. You're a big fan of Michael Myers, yes. the Halloween franchise. I'm a big Friday fan. Friday yeah. 13th is, you know, Jason Voorhees. That's where I live. But where does Freddy rank for you? Where does he end up? I mean, he's definitely on the mountain. He's definitely on the mountain of the, of the 80s slasher icons. Yeah, it's very much like the classic Universal monsters, mm-hmm. where you have, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, uh, the, the Wolfman, Wolf Creature from Black Lagoon, yeah. Man, they're, so on they're, so forth. they're always lumped together, that little core group. Mm-hmm. So that's how it feels like with our slashers. It's Michael Myers, it's Freddy, it's Jason. Uh, I would probably add Leatherface on there. Well, it, because there's it's, it's kind of many... difficult because... Yeah. You want, for the Mount Rushmore, it's like, oh, it's the ones who've lasted the longest, who've still maintained a, a good reputation, and blah, blah, blah. Because it's like, there's like Chucky, Leatherface, but the problem is the Chucky movies devolved div- really quickly, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, the first one is incredibly influential, iconic, yeah. possibly one of the greatest horror films ever made. Definitely. The rest are kind of bad. I yeah. love them for varying reasons matthew I, mcconaughey's in the fourth one i wonder if we'd put a uh, ghost face well not in the 80s 
Not in the eighties, but I mean, in terms of like modern horror, horror. I'm just saying slasher culture. Uh, maybe, maybe. Like, if if you had to quantify slashers across, you know, the decades we had him from Michael Myers up, yeah, yeah, Ghostface would probably be in in the echelon. But you're firm that it's Freddy's top three slasher franchises all time. I mean, when I think of slashers apart from Ghostface, I immediately think Michael, Freddy, Jason. All right. Well, I I would agree with you. I think Freddy is definitely up on that list. And being on Pretend Elm Street, were you just waiting for him to turn a corner? <laughs> God no, <laughs> God no. I'm a chicken. I I know. But any any uh, thoughts on that? Any parting thoughts? Any parting thoughts? I think it was a fun watch. I haven't watched it in a long time. Same. I mean, I don't know why I haven't watched it in a long time. Which is weird, because I loaned you the DVD, like, a year ago. And I brought it back today. You only watched it once, though. Maybe. That's what I thought. But <clears throat> it's fun to come back. Mm -hmm. Doesn't Nothing skips a beat. Nothing's really aged horribly in the movie. Yeah. Everything, everything still works about this movie. Everything is still fun. Everything, everything that's supposed to spook you still spooks you. Everything you're supposed to laugh at, you still laugh at. Mm -hmm. It's a, just a really well-crafted film. And yeah. it kind of sucks the franchise got not great as time went on. But it's still, I think even as a franchise, I'd still give it like, like a solid like B. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know... I don't think there's any A-plus slasher franchises that have been consistent across eight movies. Mm -hmm. Like, I ain't, gonna be, I ain't gonna lie to you. Like, Halloween might be, like, a D-list uh, franchise with an, with an A-plus film in it. We're gonna have to differ there. But... Oh, wow. Because I like me some H2O. Uh, yeah, you're the only one who likes H2O. But, I you don't know, care. Hey, look, you're, you're talking to the guy who loves Friday the 13th, and those are, like... Z-tier horror films across the board. But you love Friday the oh, 13th. Oh, I love Friday the 13th, which is really good, because you know what we're going to be watching next week? What are we watching next week? We're going to be watching Friday the 13th. Oh my god. Yes, we are. I think this one is probably the most iconic of the 80s slasher franchises. It's definitely the one that span to the full 1980s the hardest because there's a friday movie that came out every, every year, year right every year for i think eight solid years up until i think yeah the first one comes out in 1980 and i believe the last one of you know the true friday series which is um uh jason goes manhattan which is the <laughs> eighth one great uh, i believe that comes out in 89 so there's a friday movie basically every year up until you know the end of the decade and people say horror movies aren't great movies. Oh, I, people keep showing up for them. Exactly. And we always will. And for those who want to show up to Horror Club, ooh, where can they go? Well, if you want to find us on social media, you can find us on the Film Club at um, Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to follow us on a different platform than you currently are listening to us on, you can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, just about anywhere the podcasts are streamed. And you can also find us on our YouTube channel, In The Frame, where you can also find my other podcast, The Double Feature Podcast, where me and my boy David bring two movies together, compare them, contrast them, 
and really dig deep into why they work together as a pair of films, as well as my new podcast, The Film Odyssey Podcast, coming out with its first episode soon, where me and my brother go through the AFI Top 100 on a quest to find the best film ever made. But boom. You and your quests. I have a lot of quests. But apart from quests and horror movies, we also thought since we're doing our 80s theme month, mm -hmm. why not do an 80s music, you know, uh, playlist? Get people in the mood. Yeah. So you guys can see what music we're into apart from what movies we're into. So soon you can find the Film Club 80s podcast, or sorry, the Film Club 80s playlist, uh, playlist on Spotify. And it's going to have a good amount of songs from Dean and I that we love. And bonus points if you can figure out which of us likes the song. It's going to be interesting because uh, I like me some music. You know, I listen to a lot of music. But uh, I'm I'm really bad at remembering songs, names. Is This is a rough one. Dean's mostly sublime. Sublime everything. Sublime every day. Love it. Oh my god, Robin the Hood is a great album. 40 Ounces of Freedom, self-titled Sublime album. Mwah, masterpieces. Chef's Kiss. Mwah, chef's Kiss. I even love their live album. But yeah. But yeah, you could find us on uh, Spotify. I think we're going to go with uh, The Film Club Goes 80, something like that. We'll, we're still figuring out the title, but if you can, look it up, enjoy the music, and enjoy the films. All right, everybody. See you all next week. Stay tuned and stay spooky.